I was thinking about this because I thought, how cool would it be if I could come up here and say, hey, guess what? Target dropped out and Kmart's selling half price, you know, and we would be going crazy, you know, and I thought, what a downer that there's nothing new to report. I don't know. I don't know what building we're going to get. We still don't have anything in sight, nothing happening. And I, I thought, what a downer. And, and then it reminded me of... Um, you know, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, these disciples, you know, God gave them power to heal people, to cast out demons, to do all these things. They get bit by snakes. Nothing affected them. They come running back to Jesus so excited, going, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus goes, yeah, you know, I saw everything you did. But then he goes, however, in verse 20, he says, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. He, he says your joy shouldn't be based upon some ministry thing or something that happens in life. This circumstance, that circumstance. Your joy should be that your name's written in heaven. That's something to get excited about. That's something that, that shouldn't die down. And, and that, that's my fear as we go, hey, let's, let's do this building, let's do this, that we, we, that we lose track of, okay, that's, that's not what gets us excited here, okay? What we're here for is the cross. We're here because our names are written in heaven. The fact that I can come here and know, that when I look at this massive cross up there, it reminds me, you know what? God sent His Son. Jesus Jesus died on that cross. On that cross, He paid for everything I did wrong. All of my crimes, everything, every way that I screwed up and rebelled against God, all those times I rebelled against Him, it's completely wiped out now. Now God looks at me and says, you're perfectly pure because of that. And your name is now written in heaven. Any second you're going to be up there with me in a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, none of that. And that needs to be the source of my joy. That needs to be the focus of this church. Amen? All right. So who cares about Kmart? Okay. <laughs> I want to show you something, though. Okay, last week, I think it was either before the service or after the service, this little nine-year-old girl comes up to me, and she hands me a little uh, envelope, a little card, you know, a little, little note. And I just stuck it in my pocket and thought, okay, I'll read it later. And then uh, Sunday afternoon, you know, I, I come back, and I'm digging through my stuff, and I pull out this little envelope, and I read it, and there's this little letter from this girl that was so touching that I said, you know what, i got to scan this, and i got to let the whole congregation see it. And so we scanned it in, and you probably can't read it, so I'll read it to you. But it says, uh, Dear Pastor Francis, Hi, my name is Angelique. On March 1st, I will be 10. For my birthday, my mommy and dad were going to have a birthday party for me at Skateland. Instead of having a party, I decided to give the money they would have spent for you and your new church. Love, Angelique. P.S. You are the best pastor and so cool. <laughs> you know? but I, you know that, that P.S. was so touching. <laughs> no. no, I think about that. I thought about that letter. And I, I just... You know, so often I'll, I'll bring up an example, I'll have a missionary come, or someone who's had a handicap through their life, or someone that's gone through a hard time, and, and because absolutely, you know, these people sacrificed, they gave their lives to the Lord, they are our heroes. But I, I, I can't forget that passage where, you know, the disciples were shoveling the little kids away, and Jesus, whoa, wait a second, bring the kids up to me. And he sits a little kid on his lap, and he says, you know what, unless you change and become like a little child, Unless you have the faith like this little child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. 
And when I read that note, you know, and it was just so cute, little Angelique, you know, I just thought, do you remember what it was like to have a birthday party when you were a kid? And I don't know what your kids are like. My kids, their birthdays are in November, and they've got it planned out. They got it seriously. They knew who they were inviting. They know what they want to do. This, I mean, it's everything. And for her to say, you know what, I was sitting in church, and when I heard that, the, you know, Cornerstone was a new building, I just thought, okay, let me do my part. And um, I, I won't have my, my skate lab birthday party, you know. And, I, and, I, and then the thought occurred to me, what if everyone that came to Cornerstone had as much faith as Angelique? Okay, what would this church look like if, if, if I had faith like Angelique, you had faith like Angelique, we all had faith like Angelique? You know, it's just so simple. Just like, God's more important than me. That's all. God's more important than my birthday. God's more important than this. God's more important than that. And, and we go, well, when you get older, issues get bigger. No, 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 no. Jesus says, no, you become like a little child. I remember being in high school after I first became a Christian and my youth pastor made the statement. He says, if everyone were like you, what would our youth group look like? If everyone had the faith that you have right now, what would our church look like? If everyone served it the way you did, what would Cornerstone look like? Let me ask you something about about Angelique. Do you believe that God will bless her? Yeah? Are you sure that God will bless her? You are sure? Okay. All right, disgusting. Don't get mad. Um, when? This time, okay, all right, okay, good. So far you're right. Um, what's your middle name? <laughs> no, okay. Uh, <laughs> I get bored after a couple of services. I start making stuff up. Um, yeah, you know, the question is, is when? And when's it going to happen? We, we believe it's going to... We love stories. We love stories like last week. Remember the story I told you last week? You know, the girl who, who was getting out of a situation, a bad living situation, and this is going to honor God and just saved enough rent money. But then it came time to give, and she thought, oh, God wouldn't want me to give, would he? But I really feel like I should. And, but then I won't have anywhere to live. I don't know what, you know. And puts the money in the offering, walks out the door. And we love that story. She walks out the door, and she's in tears because her Bible's study group, unbeknownst to her, standing out there saying, you know, we feel led to give you this envelope full of money, you know, and she's going, no way, I just walking out the doors going, what did I do? Did I do the right decision? And here you guys are. And then I find out that the amount that they gave her was 10 times the amount she put in the offering, you know, and so you just go, wow, that's so cool. So you, you give and you walk out the door going, wait, was that right? I, I felt like you wanted me to do it, but what did I just do? And then you open the doors to these sanctuaries in that lobby just minutes later and boom, tenfold right there in your hands. You can touch it. You can feel it. And we go, that's a good story. Okay, that that fires me up because she did something and then right afterwards, boom. But it doesn't always happen that way. You know, that's not the promise. That's exciting. That's really cool for her. But uh, that's not the way it always happens. And uh, we, we love immediacy, don't we? We just love it when it happens. In fact, some of us like it to happen before. You know, it's like, 
yeah, God let me win the lottery, so I gave 10%. Ooh, that's real generous. You know, it, it just, it's, it's the whole, we, we want the blessings either immediately afterwards or even beforehand, and then we'll take a step of faith. Um, when in reality is that faith at all? You see, we've been studying this book of Haggai, and I thought I was going to do the whole book in one week, and then it's like, ah, it's going to take two. Okay, then it's going to take three. It's going to take four. And, uh, and remember in Haggai chapter 1, because I'm not going to get through all of chapter 2 today. Haggai chapter 1, remember the story, okay? These people were cursed by God. Okay, not a great position to be in. Cursed by God, so God's blown all their money away. He causes a drought. There's you know, no crops, no harvest. Everything's falling apart. And God says to them, he goes, you know why? It's because you guys are building your own houses, taking care of yourselves. Meanwhile, my temple is thrashed. And no one's doing anything. So guess who cursed your land? Guess who destroyed your crops? Who, guess who the drought came from? It was me. So he tells the people, why don't you change? Why don't you go and build my temple? And what do the people do? They repent, right? People go, okay, fine, fine. And they just immediately, they start rushing up the hill. They're chopping down trees. You know, they're drawing up plans. They're doing everything they need to do. They drop their own work, their own efforts, and they start serving God. Well, Haggai chapter 2, they've been working for a little while now. And things aren't any better. Okay? And, and I just thought, this is so pertinent to us. Because some of you in this room, you've made some choices to do the right thing in God's eyes. Some of you decide to stay married. You try to work things out, and you know what? Things aren't getting any better. Some of you, you know, decide to get things right in your business and do things in an honest, right way, and money's not getting any better. And, and, and it reminded me of this situation. These people, they repented and they, they, they started building a temple, but the situation really wasn't any better, and yet God promised them. His promise is still good. See, pr God promises that every time you do what's right in His eyes, it will work out better for you. Now when? It's his timing. We don't know. He just makes that promise. And, and most of us, we want something more concrete than his promise. I mean, what's, what's more concrete than a promise of God? You know? And, and, and so here you have these people who've made the right decisions, but Haggai here is saying, man, I know it's tough, and you haven't seen the immediate blessing, but hold on. See, he starts off in Haggai chapter 2. He says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the son of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? Okay, so, so God says, hey, he, he says, you see, verse 1, there's no throwaway verses in this passage. That's why I keep extending it, because I keep thinking, well, I can just read through that and move on. Everything is so significant here. When he says the 21st day of the seventh month, this is important for a couple, a couple reasons. One is because this is four weeks after the beginning, okay, after they started this thing. It's been four weeks now, so they've been working on this project for about four weeks, so they're probably tired. Well, not only that, but that date, the 21st day of the seventh month, the 21st day of the seventh month would have been the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Okay, it was, a, it was a Jewish feast that they celebrated. It was this celebration, this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time when they would remember tabernacles like a tent or a temporary dwelling. And so they would celebrate at this time of year, every year, the Feast of Tabernacles, which represented when they were out in the desert. Okay, when the Israelites were out in the desert, after they left Egypt, after Pharaoh let them go, after all the plagues, then they had to live temporarily there in the desert. But God got them through that. And so they would celebrate this festival on a yearly basis, and, and some still do, re- remembering that time of the, of, the, of, the, of the tabernacles when they had temporary shelters, and God got them through to live in the wilderness, to live in the desert. God got them through. And they'd celebrate that, but this Feast of Tabernacles also on the seventh day, it, 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 it wasn't just a time to celebrate that. It was also a celebration of their final ingathering of their crops. Okay, it, was a, it was like a harvest festival. It was them bringing in all of the crops, the final you know, outpouring of all these crops, and they would come before God and say, look at this abundance, all because you brought rain, all because of you. We couldn't have done any of this without you. And they would celebrate God's goodness. Well, remember, the people had been cursed now for a while. And God had caused a drought in that land. They had nothing. So here's this day of celebration where everyone brings their harvest and hey, it's the day. Everyone gather your crops, bring it in. Everyone comes in. What do you got? Nothing. Nothing. A carrot. You know, cilantro. You know, what do you, what do you guys got? What do you got? And so rather than a time of rejoicing, it became a time of depression. We've got no crops. We've been working for four weeks here. Not only that, okay, it gets worse because when he says in verse 3, hey, who of you, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? He's talking about the temple and it's starting to get built now. And he says to the people, hey, did any of you guys see this the way it used to be? And the older people, they would have remembered it. Because remember the old temple that Solomon built? It was huge. It was beautiful. Then the Babylonians, they came in. When they exiled these Jews, they destroyed that temple. Now the Jews are back and they're rebuilding this temple. But the older people are looking at it going, that's nothing compared to the old one. In fact, if you study the book of uh, Ezra, in, in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, it talks about, okay, hey, hey, wait, let me back up. When they got back into the land, they started building the foundation to the new temple. Okay? Pretty much two years into their, their comeback, their comeback, their return, they, they built the foundation. Now, once the foundation was built, in Ezra 3, verse 10, it says the young people celebrated. We finished the foundation and they're just screaming. But while the young people were screaming, the old people were crying because they looked at the foundation, at the footprint of this building, and they go, this isn't half of what it used to be. And they begin to weep. And, but, but it says you can't tell the difference. It's just a bunch of noise. People are screaming. People are crying. The young people screaming. The old people crying. Go and look at this thing. And so then all these other things happened where enemies started coming, the people got discouraged, they started getting into their sin, they got distracted from the Lord's work, and this foundation just sat there for 15 years. See, that's when Haggai comes in and says, what are you guys doing? You guys started building your own homes and you just left this thing. And, and but well, they're going, well, you know, people start attacking us, the old people were complaining, blah, 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 you know. 
And, and so Zerubbabel now, I mean, Haggai comes and says, hey, look at this temple now it's being built. You guys that are older, now they're, you know, they would have been, people that would have seen the temple would have been in their 70s or 80s. And he says, hey, you guys, those of you guys who saw the old temple, does this look like nothing to you? And they're going, yeah, compared to the old one. So you've been working for four weeks. It's the feast of, it's the harvest time. There's nothing to eat. You got old men everywhere going, that looks terrible compared to the old one. And so what is God's pep talk to these people who are doing the right thing, but it's just hard. Look what God says to them. Verse 4. Here's his words of encouragement. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. That's it? I am with you? That's all we get. Is that enough motivation? See, because he says in the next verse, verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He goes, this is what I promised. This was my covenant. What did I promise you? What did he promise them when he said, hey, if you guys start doing this, he says, I'll be with you. And he goes, this is what I covenanted when you guys came out of Egypt that I would be with you. That was His promise. He goes, this is what I promised. This is what I've been promising all along. And you've got to understand this. What do you get if you remain in Him, according to the New Testament? He'll remain in you. What do you get if you follow, you know, the Great Commission where you go out, you make disciples of all nations, you baptize them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you teach them to obey everything that, I, that God's commanded them? What do you get? He says, I'm with you. You do that and I'll be with you. You've got to understand something. God's promise to you is God. His reward is Himself. The question is, is that enough for you? See, some of you come here and you go, okay, what will I get from following God? And my answer, God to me, that's a good deal. It's a real good deal. You go, okay, I understand relationship with the creator of the universe, but what else? What else? What else? No, you don't get it then. You, you don't get it. Is God enough? Is God enough? You know, he says, what, what you get now is I'm with you and my spirit will be in you. My spirit is with you. He'll remain with you. See, I, I have people come in my office and say, okay, so this is what the Bible says a godly wife is supposed to be. So if I do these things, then will my husband come back to me? Will he love me? So, so if I fear God now and I start living this way and I start doing these things, will my husband love me? Will he come back? And I want with every fiber of my being to say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's promised. But i got to look and go, I don't know. He doesn't promise that. But he'll be with you. 
Yeah, 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 but what about my family? No, no, did you hear what I said? He'll be with you. You'll have God. But what about my husband? I don't know. If I follow God, because my son's sick right now, you know, he's really sick. If I follow him, well, well then will, will God heal him? If I start doing the right things and living the way he wants, well, he'll heal my son, right? right? I don't know. But you'll have God. So if I get things right in my business, I, I don't know. That's not promised. What was the covenant he made? He says, you do these things and I will be with you. My spirit will be with you. Is that enough? It's just God. It's just God being with you. See, because I've heard a lot of people get disappointed in God saying, well, God, God failed me because I started living his way and everything else and I haven't been able to get pregnant and I'm still not. Why? I don't. I don't see the promise there. Hey, I'm following God. I came off drugs. I still don't have a girlfriend. Well, you might never. You know, I, that's not promised. There's not a promise here of these earthly blessings. There's not a promise of you. This, everything's going to get easier. Things are going to come your way. The promise is actually the opposite. You follow me. It's going to get tough. It's going to get harder. People are going to persecute you that never persecuted you before. You're going to get these temptations and now you're convicted like you were never convicted before. Satan's after you like he's never been after you before. That's the promise. Not the easy life. Not that everyone's going to be healed and every family's going to be perfect and none of your relatives will ever get sick or sin against you. But you'll have God. You see, if you're doing it for any of these reasons, I don't know why people come to church. If, you, if you're coming here because you go, well, maybe if I do this, this, and this, then God will give me this. Just, just stop right there. God promises himself. He says, I'll be with you. And it will work out best for you. It always will. It may not be immediate, maybe five years from now, maybe ten years from now, maybe eternity. But you've got to trust me on this one. You have to trust my promise that it will never work out for you to go against me. It'll never be to your benefit. And always will be if you follow me. See, the promise is that God is pleased with you. He'll be with you. God is the reward. God plus what? What do you need? What do you need in order to follow him? God plus what? You see, but, but in, this, in this passage, God does show his grace on these people. You know, he gives them even more. If you look at verse 6, he goes, okay, here's further blessing, okay? I'm with you. That should be enough. But here's more. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the desired of all nations will come. I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, so God says, I, I will make some promises to you, though. Okay, here's this temple, and he goes, this is what I promise you. The glory of this one, hey, you old people are complaining that it's too small. This new one, it will get better than the other one. The glory will surpass the old one. Not only that, but this will become a place where peace will come into this temple. God will offer peace to the nations through this temple. Okay, now this prophecy, it did come true. 
problem is that it didn't come true for 500 years. Okay? So these guys built this temple in about 519 B.C., but then along comes Herod the Great in 20 B.C., 500 years later, and then Herod looks at the temple, and he, being an egomaniac, makes it even bigger and says, you know what, because I want to build this thing. And if you go to Israel today, you can still see some of the ruins, and you'll be floored. Because you'll look at some of those foundation pieces that today, today, we still have no idea how to stack these stones. They are so big, we don't have cranes big enough to lift them on top of each other with all our modern technology. You, you go, you see these things, you go, how'd they do it? it it's, just, it's just an amazing place, amazing architecture. And yeah, the temple was destroyed, but there's still pieces of the wall where you go, how did they do that? So it's, 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 uh, it's fulfilled, but it's 500 years after the fact. See, that doesn't really do a whole lot for the people. What if I told you, hey, you guys, this whole building project, it's going to pay off in like 500 years. Um, man, at 2,500, year 2,500, watch what happens over there at Kmart. Blue lights, everything, you know, it's just, it's just going to be nuts. You would just go, all right, great, big deal. Why? Because we don't care. We want immediate results. I want to see it in my lifetime. I don't care about God's agenda, what he's going to use 500 years from now. I want to know right now. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when he says that um, this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, in this place I will grant peace. But he also says in verse 7, I will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come. Do you know what he's talking about? The Messiah. The desired of all nations will come. You know, we sing that song, famous one, famous one, and we go, desire of nations good, huh? Um, desire of nations. Where do we get that term? That comes from here. When we're singing about Jesus, desired of the nations. Because, uh, you know, ever since the beginning, since Adam and Eve, God promised this deliverer that was going to come. And, it, and, and, and even though a lot of people here would say, well, I don't desire him. I don't desire Jesus. A lot of people in the world would say, it, he's, he's really that desire of the nations, the awaited one. In fact, if you read in, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. See, so the last book written before the New Testament, before Christ comes, the book of Malachi, he says, okay, hold on, because this desired one is actually going to come and fill this temple. He's actually going to come into this temple. So that's where this whole prophecy of Haggai is fulfilled. It's 500 years later. Herod makes the temple greater, and then Jesus himself comes in and he fills the temple. And there in Matthew 21, he cleanses the temple. He gets out all the money changers and all the crooks. Get out of here. You know, the religious leaders come and try to confront him, and Jesus confronts them and says, get out of here. You're a bunch of hypocrites. And then he starts speaking. He starts healing the sick right there in the temple. And then he prophesies his own death. It was that week that he was going to die when he was teaching in the temple. Because I'm going to die for you. You're going to have peace with God. See, this, 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 this whole granting of peace that was going to take place, it took place when Jesus says, look, I'm offering you a relationship with God. 
I'm offering to the whole world. But as the people, his own people rejected him, he says this offer is to everyone. That's what he's saying there in the temple. He says something else very interesting at the temple. In Matthew 24, the disciples look and say, yeah, isn't this awesome? I mean, Herod the Great, he built it up. It's a prophecy of Haggai. It's all beautiful. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, hmm, it's going to be destroyed though. There's not one stone that's going to be left on top of another one. This thing's going to be obliterated again because you guys rejected me. You guys rejected me. It's going to be destroyed again. This isn't a time where I'm going to inhabit the temple and grant peace from this place. Yes, you can have a relationship with God. It's a partial fulfillment, but I'm going to come back again. Another promise. I'm going to return. And you've got to hold on to this one. And really, I, I don't believe the ultimate fulfillment of all of this takes place until you, the very end of the Bible. You know, uh, Revelation 21, if you have your Bibles. Revelation 21, turn to the very end. I mean, really the ultimate, ultimate fulfillment of everything that Haggai is talking about. Revelation 21. In verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So Jesus comes to the temple, cleanses it, offers salvation, tells them He's going to return, and Christ is going to return one day. Then at the very end, there's going to be this new existence where there's this new heaven, new earth. This world that we live in right now, it's not going to be like this. It's going to be destroyed. These bodies that we know and understand right now, it's not going to be like this in the future. Some of you are in this room and you've got cancer. It's not going to be like that. Some of you have lost some loved ones this year already. It's not going to be like that. Some of you come here and you're just mourning, you're weeping. It's just been the worst week of your life. It's not going to be like that anymore. That's the promise, but it's future. It's just a matter of is that enough for you to hold on to that? See, we, we want the immediate rather than trusting in God's promises. We want to try to live without any type of faith whatsoever. And yet the Bible says that's how you can tell a true believer his home's not on this earth. The things of earth don't matter so much. Things that other people would freak out about, you go, nah, I don't care. I'm set. My name's written in heaven. Last night, we... Uh, we had a special time of prayer at church because uh, Sandy Simrall was here. I told you about her, the one that broke her arm because of cancer, everything else. And, and uh, her and Scott are heading back to Arizona this week um, to, to go work some more. And uh, I said, hey, how was everything? She goes, well, I don't know. Uh, I got to do chemo twice a week for six months. Um, doing a pretty heavy dosage and everything else. And we prayed for her, we prayed for them as they went back to get... You know, and I would have loved to say, you know what, you're healed now. I'd love to say, hey, I know, I know God's going to answer and you will be healed. But I couldn't promise that. 
And she knew it. And I, I said that from right in front. I go, hey, Sandy, you know, I, I can't promise. She goes, I know. Hey, hallelujah. She didn't care. I go, but it's a win-win, right? She goes, yeah, if I get healed, you know, it's great. Then I can praise God. Look, he did a miracle. If I don't, I go to heaven. Go, Woo, praise God. It's even better. You know, it's just this whole idea of now that I have God, God's with me. Things don't matter so much. Things don't matter so much. See, that's, that's the gift, is you can have this relationship with God that is so, can get so beautiful that Jesus says that you'll end up, you can hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, kids. The love for me will be so much greater that your love for them will look like hatred. That's the promise. As you find this treasure that's so great that you can go ahead and sell everything else. All the other stuff doesn't matter. There's this treasure in the field. I want that. I want this pearl. I want this pearl of great price. This is what matters. See, that's the promise. Is that you can fall in love with this God who is so good and make your life so wonderful just knowing Him, just being with Him and knowing what the future looks like. The things of the earth, you can honestly say, I don't care so much. The things that used to tear me apart, I now go, I don't really care so much. How many of you notice that in your walk with God? How the things that used to be everything to you, you just kind of look back down and go, huh, like that old hymn, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The things that I just used to just love, you know, it's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine, but I've got God now. He's with me. Look, some of you need to make some decisions today. Some of you are not living the way God wants you to. And you know it. And you're waiting. You're saying, okay, well, if I do this, if I do the right thing, am I going to get this? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. What you will get and you will get today, God, you'll have peace again. That if you confess your sins, that He's faithful and just and He'll forgive you your sins right now and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and He'll restore that relationship right there. The moment you do that. I'm not saying all the circumstances are going to change and everything's going to come back together and you have this perfect... No, no, no. But you'll have God again. And for some of you, isn't that enough? Because you've been living without that peace for so long. You're holding on to something you think was going to make you happy and you haven't been able to let go, but you feel rotten right now. You haven't had God. You haven't had Him alongside of you, being filled with Him and everything else, and it's just an awful feeling. Man, you can enjoy these moments of pleasure and maybe certain things worked out better, but ultimately you got this sick feeling inside that never leaves you alone. You come here, and we're going to worship in a little bit, and, and you're going to sing these songs, but meanwhile, you don't really feel it. Because you know what's really in your life. You know you're rebelling against God, and so you don't have that peace. You don't enjoy worship. You don't enjoy prayer. You don't enjoy me preaching right now. Honestly, it makes you sick hearing these words. You're going, well, how do you know that? I, I've been there. Haven't we all taken the easy route at some point in our lives, and, and we saw where it took us? And it's miserable. Yeah, you get these few moments of pleasure, but it's never worth it. And I'm not promising you that the circumstances will work out well. I'm just promising you, you can have peace again today. You can breathe again. God will be with you. 
the Spirit will be with you. That's a promise. Or you can keep on living life without Him. Man, I'm just begging you to understand that God's enough and should be enough for you to turn from whatever it is and enjoy Him again. And those who have never experienced that peace, never had that relationship with God, you really can start it today. You can have God come into your heart today. His Spirit, He promises, can come today. If you have any questions, need someone to pray, to pray with, I'll be up here by the prayer room. The worship team is going to come up here right now. And as, uh, as you prepare to sing, and many of us will sing, Many of you will feel sick even trying to sing because you know God's looking at you, listening to your words and going, shut up. I saw how you lived this week. I know what's in your heart. You don't mean these words, so just, just shut up. Get right with Him.